0: saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now behold, therefore, the cry of the children of Israel has is come unto me, and I also have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. Now, before I really get into the message, I want to give you the evolution of this message, okay? If you're reading along with us this past week, we've been reading in the 19th chapter of Exodus. And as I read verses 21 through 25, I was sort of impressed. God told Moses a second time to go down and tell the people not to come up. This is when they're there at Sinai. They're at Mount Horeb again. Moses, the people have been delivered and they've come to that place and God says, go down again and tell them not to come up here. And I sort of got interested in uh, Moses' answer because Moses said, now, Lord, they won't come near because you told them not to. Well, Moses didn't really know people at that point, did he? Uh, Sometimes if God says, don't do something, we're determined to try to do it. Moses was just as naive as a lot of young pastors today. He just believed because God said it. People would obey God. And how many times in life do we see that that's just not the case? And so in verse 24, here's what God says. God says, and this is paraphrasing obviously, God says, you do what I told you to do. Now you go down the mountain, you tell the people not to come near the mountain, and when you come back, you bring Aaron with you, all right? And so Moses obeyed. And so that caused me to start thinking, I wonder, could I preach a message or a series of messages on arguing with God? Because that's sort of what Moses seems to be doing here. And also caused me to wonder how often are we like Moses and we argue with God about something. We pray for God's answer and when we get it, we just want to argue with God about it. And God says, do this. And we say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do it this way, Lord, or, or whatever it may be. And so I began to consider that message, that series of messages. And I thought about Abraham. I thought about Job argued a little bit with God, and I thought about Peter, you know, when he rebuked the Lord Jesus, after Jesus had talked about going to the cross, and Peter said, no, you're not going, I'll protect you, I'll defend you, but then as I began to look at Moses, a different message came to light, and that's this message on excuses, and I love that song that Brother Rick sang, there's a difference between reasons and excuses, folks. If you just want to look at a dictionary definition, a reason is a statement offered in explanation or justification, a sufficient, that's a key word, a sufficient ground of explanation or of logical defense. I have COVID. I can't come to church. Hey, that's a reason. <laughs> you keep your COVID at home. All right. <laughs> I don't mean to be ugly, but uh, none of us won't sit. And when you get better, come on back to church. An excuse, as we're using it today, is an attempt to remove blame, an attempt to lessen the blame, attaching to a fault or offense, seeking to defend or justify an explanation put forward to defend or justify a fault or an offense. Well, preacher, I just couldn't make it to church today. Well, why couldn't you? Well, you know... Just think, I, I don't want to offer any excuses because I don't want to use any of yours, right? <laughs> and so I'll just leave that. You, you just put your own excuse in right there. And then I found some statements about excuses. George Washington, y'all remember him? Seems like we've forgotten him today. But George Washington says, it is better to offer no excuse than a bad one. Hey, that's right. Benjamin Franklin He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. You know, I used to hear about people that would, and I've used this phrase, I've used it talking about people who just don't tell the truth. You know, they'd rather tell something other than the truth. I say, he'd rather climb a tree to tell a lie than to stand flat-footed on the ground and tell the truth. And some people would rather climb a tree to tell an excuse than to stand flat-footed on the ground and give the real reason. George Washington Carver, 99% of the failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. We excuse ourselves, we excuse our failures. And then I saw this one, the trouble with excuses is that they become inevitably difficult to believe after they've been used a couple of times. You know, you keep using the same excuse, pretty soon people are going to say, well, that just sounds like an excuse to me. I heard about and read a story about these soldiers that were supposed to be back at base for morning roll call and they didn't show up. Nine of them didn't show up. 7 p.m. that evening one showed up and he had an explanation, he had an excuse, for his commanding officer. He said, I was on a date, lost track of time, saw what time it was, he said, so I hired a cab to drive back to camp. On the way back to camp, the cab broke down, it was near a farmhouse. I bought a horse from a farmer to ride back to camp. Got close to camp and the horse died. And I had to walk the last 10 miles to camp, but I wanted to make it, so here I am. Well, in a little bit, seven others came in with the same excuse. On a date, lost track of time, hired a cab, cab broke down, got a horse, horse died, walked back to camp. Finally, the last one came in. He gives his explanation, starts to give it, and the commanding officer says, no, 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 I've heard it. He said, You were on a date, lost track of time, hired a cab, cab broke down, got a horse, horse died, and you walked. He said, No, sir, that's not it. He said, I was on a date, and I lost track of time, and I did hire a cab, but there were so many dead horses on the road, I just had trouble getting here on time. (laughs) Well, that's the way our excuses are. They are that ridiculous much of the time. And the point is whatever our excuse is, not reason, whatever our excuse is, folks, the Lord's heard it before. I think the Lord's heard every excuse that man can come up with for our failure of serving him. Well, the life of Moses is divided into three 40-year periods. We know that. There were the 40 years that he spent in Egypt. There's the 40 years that he's out tending sheep. And that's what we see him doing many times. But you know what? God's preparing him while he's tending sheep. But he's out tending sheep for 40 years in the wilderness. And then the last 40 years is spent leading the children of Israel to the promised land. Note this. Two-thirds of Moses' life were spent preparing him for the service of God. I hear people say, well, I'm, I'm older and we need to let some younger people do it. No, we need to train some younger people so when they get older, they have the experience and the knowledge and the ability to do what God would have them to do. Just because you have years on you. Does not mean that God's ready for you to retire. I've said before. And I'll say again. I believe God has one retirement plan for preachers. And you don't come out of a retirement when God retires you. Okay. Now I know some have to resign and retire because of illness and, and that sort of thing. But if God's given us health. And God gives us the ability to preach his word then we need to be preaching his word until the day that he calls us home. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, we see the beginning of the final 40 years of Moses' life. He's on the backside of the desert. We read that in verse 1. He's out there on the backside of the desert, and he comes to the mountain of God. He comes to Horeb. And, of course, we know the story of the burning bush. He sees the burning bush. He can't figure out why the bush is not burned up, so he decides he's going to. And as he comes to this burning bush, God tells him what he wants with him. Lead my children of Israel out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. And what does Moses do? Now, we only read to the 12th verse. We're going to look at some other verses in that chapter and also in chapter 4. But Moses begins to make excuses I can't. Oh, Lord, I, I, you know, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we have all of these excuses many times. It's an attempt, what? What is an excuse? An attempt to lessen the blame for a failure or for a refusal to faithfully serve God. Lord, you just don't know what you're calling me to do. Here's a problem. I mentioned this Wednesday night. I gave you a little look at the message this morning, Wednesday evening, when I mentioned this. Here's the problem in the Lord's churches today. So many of God's people know about God. We don't know God. Yes, we're saved. I've repented toward God, put my faith in Christ and be saved. But I mean know God with that intimate relationship, with that intimate fellowship with God, where we walk daily with Him, where our thoughts are controlled by God, where our lives are guided by God. And so many just don't really know God. You know, there are folks that believe, I'm fixing a spring one on you. There are folks that believe that only pastors... And missionaries are supposed to leave the place where they grew up and quit their jobs and leave their families and friends behind and go to some field where they've never even lived before and start serving God there. Read, we covered it this morning, read the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts those folks in Jerusalem who were so comfortable, and we talked about comfortable Christianity in Sunday school this morning. I don't really believe there is such a thing. True Christianity is not comfortable in the sense of dealing with the world. But these folks in Jerusalem were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. By the way, that's the places that Jesus told them to go and they hadn't gone yet because they settled down in Jerusalem. Sometimes God may have to move us out that way. But how many of us, If God led us to, would be willing to quit our jobs, sell our homes, leave our family and friends and go somewhere where maybe there was no New Testament church, true New Testament church, or go somewhere where a missionary had gone and he needed some folks there to help him work and do church work. How many of God's people today would really be willing to do that? We're comfortable. So we're going to look at Moses' excuses right quick. We're going to see if they remind us maybe of some excuses we've been using. And the very first one is the one I call the unworthy excuse. The unworthy excuse. Because you look at verse 11. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, don't you know who you're talking to? Lord, you know, I don't have any real ability. I can't do this. By the way, that was one of my excuses when the Lord was calling me to preach. I can't stand up in front of people. I was thinking about preaching in the church I grew up in, you know. And I can't stand up and preach to people who, after services, will say, well, I used to change your diaper in the nursery. I said, "I I can't do that. Well, see, if the Lord has a solution for that, it's called age. And now I'm older than most people I preach to, so I can do it. He took care of it. But anyway, Moses said, who am I? He's, he's looking at himself from a human perspective. You think of Moses. He came from a nation of slaves. He might have considered himself unworthy for that reason. He recognizes that Pharaoh has the power of life and death over him. If I go and approach Pharaoh, he may take my life. Maybe he's thinking about the days in Egypt when he ran from Pharaoh. But one thing's for sure, Moses is saying to God, you're making a mistake calling me. You're making a mistake asking me to do that. That may sound like a legitimate excuse. But you know who God likes to use? The nobodies. God doesn't really have any nobodies, but he likes to use the people who consider themselves nobody. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, for you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. I explained to Caskey's that I made a promise to this church 10 years ago. You ain't never had a pastor like me before. And I said, here's the problem. I spent six and a half years as a rock music disc jockey. All right. I said, therein is my problem. (laughs) Okay. But God said, you know what? I can use you. And God said, I can use you even in your personality. God does not call the qualified folks. God qualifies those he calls. And so if God's giving you something to do, listen to him. I hear Moses saying, Pharaoh won't listen to me. I said, that's what I said about my preaching. Who's going to listen to me? But listen, God does not call us to something that he will not enable us to do. Otherwise, we'd have a reason and not an excuse, wouldn't we? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And in verse 12, when God said to Moses certainly I will be with thee. That should have been enough. That should have been sufficient. Hey, listen, if God's with you, who or what else do you need? And God said to Moses, I'm going to be with He said, you think Pharaoh is great? You think you're no match for Pharaoh? You may be right on that. But Pharaoh's not greater than me. And Pharaoh is no match for me. Would that be sufficient cause for us to say, you know what, I'm going to serve God regardless because God has said He will be with me. And God's greater than anybody or anything that I may encounter. If God's laid it on your heart to teach, if God's laid it on your heart to witness, if God's laid it on your heart to sing a special or to sing in the choir, if God's laid it on your heart to lead in some way, He will be with you to strengthen you to do it. The will of God, I saw this plaque many, many years ago, It probably famous. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And that's true, folks. I like what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, listen to this, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know what Paul said? So I'm in the ministry, but God enabled me to do it. I thought a lot of times, Lord, why'd you call me to preach? Listen, if I'd been doing the calling, I sure wouldn't have called me. But God did that. And when we make excuses to God, basically, we're telling Him that we know more than He does. Lord, you, can't use, you just think you can use me, you're making a mistake get somebody else. And we'll talk about that one in a moment. Next is the unlearned excuse. I like verse 13. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Look, I don't have a message, Lord. You want me to go to them? I don't have a message. I hadn't I think sometimes we preachers get up on a Sunday morning and we think do I really have a message? Or maybe on Monday morning we think do I really have a message? But that's my question every Monday morning. Lord, what message do your people need next week? I want you to guide me. I don't want to preach what I want to preach. Because then I'd have a few favorite subjects that I'd just stay on all the time. But Lord, what do your people, see, God knows what you need and God knows who's going to be here in the service and I don't. And so I just trust him. And you know what? God always supplies. But Moses pleaded ignorance. I just don't know what to say. Here's what God said. Here's your message. Tell them I am sent you. Now the Israelites knew who I am was. Okay. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of Jacob. They knew him well. Now, there's some folks who would say, I wouldn't know how to start a conversation about the Lord with people. And you know what I've discovered? You just start talking. God will take care of the rest. I was telling the Sunday school class, the guy who sprays for bugs here, was here a few weeks ago. And we got in a conversation. And in the conversation, he mentioned... That he grew up in a baptist church he doesn't go to church right now he's trying to start back going to church i invited him here he grew up in a baptist church and so it's a great opportunity i said well then based on that may i assume that you know jesus christ as your savior and of course he did and i'm thankful for that but you see how easy that was we're talking about church we're talking about going to church okay you went to that okay do you know the lord very easy to talk to somebody that way about the Lord. Let me ask you this: Do you ever brag on your children? Now that's a silly question, isn't it? Any parent here would say, "Yes, I bragged on my children. Do you have any trouble talking to anybody about your children? I walked back in the fellowship hall this morning. Johnny was telling Larry and Cherry about our dog, OK. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's your children or your dog. You're going to talk to somebody about it, and you're just going to tell people things about them. Well, then why can't you brag on God? Oh, this is what my children do. This is what my God does. This is what God did for me. He saved my soul. I was a sinner, lost, going to hell. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and he did. And God made the offer to me of salvation through repentance toward him and faith in Christ. And I accepted Christ as Savior, and God has saved me. But not just that. Listen to all that God has done for me. He's provided everything that I need in my life. All of my needs, food, clothing, shelter. God's done that. Can't you brag on God that way? I think we've let some folks scare us away from bragging on God that way. And that's as far as I want to go with that right now. But listen, as I said Wednesday night, and I'm not trying to offend anybody with this. I'm just speaking plainly. As I said Wednesday night, when we're witnessing to people, we're not trying to make Baptists out of them. We're trying to make children of God out of them. We're trying to cause them to see that they need to be saved now, once they're saved and the Holy Spirit in the moment they're saved begins to take up residence in them, then they may be, can understand the, the reason they need to be in a true church. But i just repeat what I said Wednesday night. We have way too many Baptists that have become church members without becoming children of God first. And they skipped a step in the process. They went from lost to church members And i believe it's possible i believe it's probable that we have folks on our church roll who skipped a step in the process that went from being lost to being members of this church well how do you believe that brother jim because in my 10 years almost 10 years here i had never met them we have no idea where they are they do not care to assemble together with God's people and worship God in spirit and in truth. I like what Vance Havner said, too many church members have been starched and ironed without being washed first. And that's the truth. And I said Wednesday night, if someone's lost, I do not want them to be a member of this church until they first accept Jesus as Savior. Okay? Lost church members many times are the ones that cause problems in the church. Now, I did not say Now, I want to get this. This is on live streams. I want people to understand this. I did not say I don't want lost people coming to church. I want lost people coming to church and being under the word of God. But I want them to be saved by repentance toward God and faith in Christ before they're scripturally baptized. Because that's the only way they can be scripturally baptized. And before they become members of this church. Moses said, I don't have a message. Many times we say, I don't have a message. Listen, child of God, you do have a message. Romans three twenty three for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John three sixteen for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then John chapter three verse eighteen and verse thirty six which says that he that believes on Christ is not condemned but he that does not believe on Christ is condemned already. Not that they will someday be condemned. They are already condemned because they do not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there's the the, I'm a nobody excuse, the unimportant excuse, the unlearned excuse. Then there's the unauthorized excuse. What do you mean the unauthorized excuse? Well, they won't believe me. If I go and preach the message, They won't believe. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Have you ever used that excuse? Oh, I'd like to witness, but folks I know won't believe me. Folks I know won't listen to me. What we need to understand is what God told Samuel. Samuel. When people reject our testimony, when people reject our witness of the Lord Jesus, they're not rejecting us. What did God say to Samuel when Israel wanted a king? He said, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me that I should reign over them. And when we witness to someone and they refuse to accept Christ, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the God who wants to save them. I read a story about Dr. Adrian Rogers. I love to listen to him preach. He and I probably wouldn't agree on everything, but I love to listen to him preach. And the story that I read said for many years that he was just really disturbed because he would preach. You know, he was pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, and he would preach to these great crowds and they'd give the invitation and very few, if any, would walk the aisle until he came to that realization, they're not rejecting me. They're not rejecting my preaching. They are rejecting God and they're rejecting the word of God. I said maybe Moses was remembering his past in Egypt. How often do we let something that we've done years ago in our lives interfere with our willingness to serve God and to witness of Christ today? I listened to a song last night that I love. Dear friend of ours, Brother Carl Miller, used to sing this song. Love to listen to Brother Carl sing. It's called Thanks to Calvary. I don't know his past life, but I sort of felt like that was his personal testimony. And the song says, you know, today I went back to the place I used to go and talked about the friends that, that couldn't understand what had happened. But then he says, I went back to the home where we used to live. And my little boy ran and hid behind the door. He said, and I said, son, have no fear. You got a new daddy now. Thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. Calvary will change people's lives. Calvary will change people's hearts. It'll change people's outlooks. And so I love that song, thanks to Calvary. It reminds us, whatever happened in the past is past, folks. We've got to serve God today. God gave Moses three signs to prove to the people. Here's the authority for the message. This proves I was sent from God. He said, first of all, take that rod that's in your hand and throw it on the ground. And it turned into what? A serpent, didn't it? Now, here's the part I'd have had a problem with. God said, reach down and pick it up. Now, Lord, you really want me to pick up a snake? <laughs> that takes some faith. But Moses reached down and picked it up. And what happened? Turned back into a rod. And then he told Moses, take your hand and stick it inside your bosom. And pull it out and it was leprous. He said, stick it in again and pull it out again and it was made whole. And then the third one was, if they won't believe those two signs, here's what you do. You take some water out of the river and you pour it on the ground and it'll turn into blood. God said, I'm going to work some miracles through you, Moses. I'm going to prove to these people that I sent you if they won't believe you. You do have a message and you do have some authority and I'm going to show that authority when you come before the people. God's saying, they may not listen to you first, but you let me handle that. Okay? You know the best thing you can do before you try to witness to someone? Pray. Pray. You know, even if it's just a real quick prayer, maybe you're caught in a situation where you hadn't planned to go see somebody and witness to them. I mean, you're just in this conversation with someone, the opportunity comes up to witness. You can very quickly say, Lord, please touch their hearts. You don't have to say it out loud. God hears your prayers even when you don't speak them out loud. Say, Lord, just touch their hearts. Prepare them for this message and then tell them about Christ. We are not, how many times have I said this? We are not to try to do the convicting of hearts, folks. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We're instructed to be witnesses I've shared with you, I've been a witness in court cases before. One place I pastored, we had an elderly man pass away. He had changed his will just before he passed away. His grandson contested the will. And so the attorney for the man's family came to me and said, was he in his right mind? And so I said, sure, he was, he was fine. He said, I need you to go to court and testify to that. So I got on the stance, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you God. I don't think they said that, but they ought to. And I tested, you know, I told what I knew. It's up to the judge. It's up to the plaintiff's attorney. It's up to the defense. Attorney. I mean, all I can do as a witness is tell what I know and that's what we are supposed to do. And then we're to live in such a way that our lives will back up that witness. Don't tell somebody you're saved and witness to them in Christ and then go out and live like the world. You just destroyed your testimony. You just ruined it right there. And so there's the unauthorized excuse. Lord, they won't listen to me. And God says, I'll make it where they will. You know, we can pray that God would soften hearts before we talk to people about the Lord too. What did I pray just a few moments ago before starting this message? Lord, open the hearts and the minds and the ears of your people. I was praying for each and every one here this morning. That God will just open up your heart to receive the word. Not what Brother Jim says. Y'all know how I feel about that. But what the word of God says. And then there's the unable excuse. I love this one. Now Lord you know I'm not eloquent. And Lord you know I'm slow of speech. I sort of thought maybe Moses was from the south. Most of us folks from the south is sort of slow speech. Right? I don't think that's what he's talking about, but that's what he said. Moses said unto the Lord, O Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Since you mentioned talking, Lord, how did God answer Moses in verse 11, chapter 4? And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing? Or the blind. Have not I the Lord. Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth. And teach thee what thou shalt say. Again this should have given Moses great confidence. God says, I'm going to be with your mouth. I pray that God will be with my mouth every time I preach folks. Because some of y'all know how this thing up here works. Right. And sometimes. There's no filter between here and here, so sometimes I have to pray, or all the time I have to pray that God would be with my mouth. What did Jesus say in the book of Matthew in the 10th chapter when he's sending out the 70? Do you remember what he said to them? But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Jesus said, you get the door opened, Tell them. Tell them about the Lord. Witness to them. I'll give you the words. Now, folks, I took speech in junior high school. I took speech in high school. I took speech in college. I was heading toward a career in broadcasting. That was my desire. And then I took speech in seminary. I took a a lot of speech and I've had some good speech instructors but I never had one like Moses was offered. God said, I'll be with your mouth. I tell you what, there's no words to describe that. How often do I say, get ready deacons, how often do I say, I can't preach. God through me can. That's it. God through you can witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know most of the time, I'm going to be real honest here, most of the time other than what's in my sermon notes that I can go back and read later I get through the message I have no idea what I said and you say well preacher you ought to listen to the preaching then you know <laughs> but I have to go back and play you know Sunday afternoon I edit the message to put on the podcast and so I go back and I, I said, did I say that because I don't remember it Folks, I want God just to speak through me. I know I have a lot of favorite verses of scriptures. And one of my favorites that regards preaching, okay, is over in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. And the Apostle Paul is talking about when he was there at Corinth. And he says, first of all, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I didn't come in my own power. I didn't come in my own strength. I didn't come in my own talents. I depend upon God to supply the message. By the way, that may be why I chase some rabbits sometimes. Maybe God's leading me off for a He'll lead me back. Don't worry about that. Verse two, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message we have. That's the message that'll change the world. That's the message that'll change people's hearts. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at verse three, and I was with you. Can you imagine Paul this way? I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's his personal appearance. I'm going to tell him, Sister Candy. I think she said this to me one time. I don't see how you get up there and do that. That's what she said. I think she said something about being nervous. I just hide it well, okay? Because the one thing I want more than anything else is to glorify God and preach His Word. Folks. If a preacher doesn't get a little bit nervous about his message, about what he's about to preach, he might need to go back and, and get revived or get re-something anyway, maybe re And then he says in verse 4... And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I didn't use the debater's tactics. We had a class in seminary called, it was called logic, but it was a debate class. There's a neat little rule in debating that in the concluding remarks, you can't bring up something new. You can go back and recap what you said, but you can't bring up something new. Well, we had an uneven number of students in the class so our instructor had to be on a team. We got in this debate and I mentioned so I just passed over I mentioned it but I said it and just passed over it real quick cuz I knew what I was going to do. Came to the conclusion and I brought it up. Cuz I've said it so I can talk about it now and I brought it up. And after they decided who had won the debate, and I don't even remember who won that debate, he said, you can't do that. You have to mention it in the body of the debate before you bring it up in the end. And somebody said, he did. Well, I thanked whoever that was. But Paul said, I didn't do that. I didn't use those debaters' tactics. And he said, nothing that I said could have impressed you or anybody else. Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And here's what He wanted, and here's what I want. This is your pastor's desire that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to demonstrate Holy Spirit power when the Word of God is preached. That'll do a whole lot better than enticing words of men's wisdom on it. It's not how the preacher said it, folks. It's how the Holy Spirit takes the message to our hearts. That's what's important. Plain language, not couched in theological terms. What good does it do to preach a message nobody understands? Have you ever heard one of those? Preacher gets through and you think, what did he say? Well, I want you to know what I said. I will always remember the advice I was given when I first started preaching. Keep it on that. I had a six, seven, and eight-year-old children's chapel. And somebody said to me, when you get out in big church, you just keep it on that six, seven, and eight-year-old level. I'm not telling you that you're six, seven, and eight-year-olds. But you know what? That's the level at which most people listen. I had one lady go out and shake my hand. She said, I enjoyed your nice little talk. Okay. God sent Aaron with Moses to speak for him. And listen, God will send the Holy Spirit with us when we go out to talk to people about the Lord. The unavailable excuse. Verse 13. Lord, send somebody else. And he said, oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. And Moses is saying, Lord, would you send somebody, anybody else, Lord? Not me. Have you ever said that? God's promised Moses his presence, his power, his protection, and he's still reluctant to obey God. Moses had seen the glory of God in the burning bush. God had talked to Moses intimately. God had answered all of Moses' objections. And in spite of it all, Moses says, send somebody else. Have you ever used the excuse that somebody else would probably do a better job? Our dad used to have this saying, everybody's business is nobody's business. You know what that means? Well, if everybody's business, nobody's going to end up doing it. Okay? Quick story about four people. Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Important job to be done everybody was sure that somebody would do it Anybody could have done it But nobody did it Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that, that everybody wouldn't do it It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done and that's the story of witnessing That's a preacher's job. That's a deacon's job. That's a Sunday school teacher's job. That's not my job. Yes, it is. There's a reason it said that 90% of the work of the church is done by 10% of the people. It's because the 10% realize the other 90% aren't going to do it. So the 10% do it. God spent, as I said, two-thirds of the life of Moses, 80 years of the life of Moses, preparing him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. God knew what he was doing. I mentioned all of the speech courses I took. I was preparing for a career. You know what? God was preparing me for something else. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in those accidents. God was preparing me for a calling. The things that happen in our lives are not by mere coincidence. They might be God's providential care and God's preparing us for service. And in verse 14, what we see is that God's anger was kindled, blazed up against Moses. And God's basically saying, okay, you got a brother, Aaron? He's going to speak for you. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. Moses, I tell you what to say. You tell Aaron what to say. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. So finally, in verse 18, Moses went. And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Probably just about every God-called preacher has a story about like Moses. Dealing with God's call to preach and his willingness and unwillingness to surrender. I've shared mine several times here. I've shared with you what it took, and I'm not going to go through that today. Why are we so reluctant to do what God wants us to do? He is God. He is our master. He's our creator. He is our savior. And yes, someone else might be able to do something just as well as you, but listen, God wants you to do it. You know, there's nobody else that knew the wilderness as well as Moses did. Probably Joshua or somebody else could have led the Israelites, but they didn't know the wilderness, so God used Moses. And there are saved people today that will stand before the Lord as complete failures unless they learn to quit hiding behind excuses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. See, rewards may not mean a lot to us right now. We're living in this flesh. We live day to day. We're worried about bank accounts, the price of eggs, things like that. Well, I'll add gasoline in there too, right? Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, And round about the throne there were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And you drop down to verse ten, and it says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne, that's Jesus, and worship him that liveth for ever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Why should we worry about rewards now? We're going to worship Jesus with them one of these days in that heavenly scene, folks. Paul said to the Thessalonians, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? I want some crowns. Not so I can strut around heaven with crowns on my head. But folks, I want crowns to cast, to place, to throw, however we do it, at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an old, old song. Don't hear it sung a whole lot anymore in churches called Must I Go and Empty-Handed. I'm just going to read the first verse in the chorus, but Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet. Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty-handed, must I meet my Savior, so not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go. It is my belief that Most, if not all, truly saved individuals have a desire in their hearts to serve God and have a desire in their hearts to witness of Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit put it there, or he will put it there. But I believe all too often we just allow the flesh and the devil to stop us. It may be fear, bashfulness, excuses, whatever. Any other reason, excuse Satan can give us, we find easy to use and we depend upon it. But listen... We better speak up before it is too late because the day may come in this nation when you don't dare mention the name of Jesus, at least not in public. So in conclusion, I ask you this question. Are you faithfully serving the Lord today? And if you're not, what's your excuse? Excuses are very, very easy to find and they're very easy to use to keep us from assembling together, from witnessing, from working, from living, from walking for the Lord Jesus on a daily basis. It's just my prayer that we'll just get rid of the excuses. And listen, if we fail God, just say, Lord, I failed you. Forgive me. You know what? The Scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us if we just confess it to him. But when we do that, we need also to say, now, Lord, forgive me, but Help me not to use those excuses anymore. Help me to be a faithful servant of you.